Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Well, my name is Kyle Burkholder. I'm pastor here at Covenant Church and just uh, one of the elders that has the great privilege of uh, walking alongside this community, of serving this community as we go about our mission. And today we're going to pick up our uh, latest sermon series, which is Covenant at 50. We are 50 years old. We have made the halfway point of our first century as a people, as a church body. And it's an exciting thing. And so for the five weeks of this summer, we're kind of walking through what does it mean uh, to be where we are? Who have we been? Who are we becoming? What makes Covenant Church Covenant? And uh, what are we committed to keeping as we continue to, to walk the days in front of us? What are we doing for the next 50 years, really? And so uh, last week you heard from one of our elders, Ken Jenkins, and he talked about the Holy Spirit and how we are a spirit-led, spirit-centered kind of place. And in the weeks to come, you're going to hear other elders and staff people come up and uh, give you different angles as we kind of hold up the beauty of the church and look at it from all these different angles. Who are we? Who are we becoming? Um, today, we're going to talk about being gospel-centered. Gospel-centered. We are a gospel-centered church, and in order to do that, we're actually going to start by playing a little game that the internet plays. The internet plays this game called Explain a Movie Plot Badly. Okay, anybody familiar with this? Explain a Movie Plot Badly. What it is, uh, we're going to give you one example before we get started, but what it is is basically you take the plot of a movie, you summarize it in a really obscure way, and then we reveal the movie poster to see if you guessed it. Okay, so here it goes. Uh, get, get the first one. Here we go. Here's the plot of the movie. Father connects with long lost son, hoping to pass along family business. Any ideas? Star Wars. Okay. You, get, you got the sense now? You see where we're going? Okay, let's go again. We're going to do a few of these. This is going to be fun. A startup company learns the importance of a proper IT budget. You got it? There it is. Okay, see? Because the fences. Oh, um, okay, next. Cerebral woman talks to furniture and marries her kidnapper. This is a really obscure one. I don't know if you're going to get this one. There it is. They're going to get, they're getting worse. I'm sorry. All right, Jackie, hold on this one for a minute. Just give them a second. Family's first Airbnb experience goes very, very wrong. If you know, just shout it out. If you think you know. You got to think so. Go for it. All right, here we go. Keep going. A large group tries the ice bucket challenge. You guys remember the ice bucket challenge? Large group tried it one time. That's it. There it is. Too soon? All right. Government spends billions of dollars subsidizing a potato, potato farmer. This is a fun one. Hit it, Jackie. Go. All right. Uh, not as good. We're, we're going to come to the end. Here it goes. This one you got. You got this one. Lunatic enslaves chocolate-making entertainers slowly kills group of children in front of their parents. Yeah, you got one. All right, there he is. Creepiest thing on earth right there. All right, also my favorite movie. Immigrant adoptee is repatriated to the country of his birth, experiences culture shock and prejudice. Hold on this one, hold on this one. This could be a good one. Anybody? Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was hard. I know. All right, what else? What else we have? Oh, yeah. This is an intense one. A dad is late picking up his daughter. 
I don't, I don't like the ones where you groan a lot. I don't like those as much. Okay, next, next. This is my, this is my favorite one. A group spends nine hours returning jewelry. Yeah. Yeah. You can't do that. That's sacred. Is it though? I, long story short, I got in, I, I didn't, read these. I didn't grow up in, in a Protestant way, and so I didn't, I didn't, never read the books, and so I was like, I gotta catch up. I was a pastor. I was like, I gotta catch up. So when all the movies were out, I rented all three movies back when you rented movies, and I, you know, I put in the first movie, and um, 43 minutes into the movie, I looked up, and they were just now talking about going to get the ring back, and I knew all three movies were out, and I kind of calculated I had nine more hours to see them get the ring, and so I turned it off. I've never seen it. I have no clue. Anyway, next. All right, last one. Last one. I'm gonna give you an extra bit of time. Transported to a surreal landscape, a young girl kills the first person she meets before teaming up with three strangers to kill again. Yeah. Okay. So that is called uh, Explain a Movie Plot Badly. What, what that tells us is that it is possible to get the plot wrong. Even though you understand what the point was, you can kind of go sideways. So now we're going to get personal. Let's play Explain a Church Mission Badly. Okay, go. Jackie, we're on it. All right, preserve the building. Sometimes this becomes the mission. Preserve the building, because where else can we have potlucks? It's got to be about the building. <laughs> Next, keep everyone happy. Look, keep everyone happy because conflict is hard. So let's just not fight about it. Let's just, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. Next, okay, let's get back to singing hymns. That's our new mission. We're going to get back to singing hymns because Jesus clearly preferred them. Guys. What do you think he and the disciples sang? Hymns from the 1800s. Go. Be more entertaining. Fog machines. We need to be more relevant, more, more futuristic. Let's get in there because a spoonful of sugar helps the Jesus medicine go down. Right? Oh. Jesus is hard. Let's make it more fun. Stay culturally relevant because TikTok. Right? So if you're on TikTok, that's not a dig. That's you. You're relevant. I'm not. Okay, go. Next. Uh, protect the pastor. This happens sometimes. We're like, oh, we got to protect the pastor. And this becomes people's whole mission because nobody's perfect. You can't, he's not perfect. He's not perfect. Protect him. Or, or on the other hand, can we get a new pastor because the perfect pastor is out there somewhere and it's not you. Okay, so that could be that. That happens in churches. You see churches split over these things. Next, keep theology in the background because guys, everybody believes in something. So just let's not fight about that. Next, maintain a small family feel because... Knowing each other just feels nice. Or, on the other side, let's grow at all costs because being part of something that grows feels really nice too. And so, which, I don't know, let's just pick one. Next, cater to families because they bring stability. We only families, no one else is welcome. Or, wait, we could cater to singles because they bring excitement. <laughs> singles are laughing or married people laugh? I don't know who laughed at that, but keep going. Okay. Uh, cater to long-term members because it's good to know where your bread is buttered, so you gotta just keep them happy. Or, or, cater to new people because we need more bread, so we need, welcome. You know how to give at the boxes in the back. Okay, next, cater to fringe groups around town. Hey, no, let's get, you know, because bread is 20th century, so we're doing vegan gluten-free communion now. So let's just like forget old, new, it doesn't matter, let's just be edgy. Is that the last one? There's one more. Make it all up as we go. We don't even care about our mission. We just, whoa, what? And that, that's what we do. All right. Let's pray. I'm just kidding. Um, that was it. That's the whole sermon. Did you get it? Um, it is entirely possible, and you talk to anybody that's been in church long enough, 
And as painful as it is, often it's us that lead us there, as painful as it is, we often get uh, the point wrong. We lose the plot. And we find ourselves chasing some other mission, some other motive, some other preference, and, and, and our church life becomes about this other thing instead of about what it was designed to be about. We get this uh, wrong a lot. Our, our church, yes. The church, yes. And as covenant, something that has been true from the beginning, and even though we have wavered, and even though there's been seasons where we wobbled, um, we resolve to be gospel-centered, to be about the thing that ultimately is the only thing that matters. And so instead of getting distracted by our preferences, or even worse, beginning to think that our preferences are the point, what we're going to do is continue to focus on the gospel. Our faith life is to be about the gospel. Our, our, our walk outside of this place is to be about the gospel. Um, your whole Bible, I don't know if you knew this, your whole Bible is actually about the gospel. You think there are four books called gospels. The whole thing is about Jesus. It's about the good news. Uh, Dave Harvey says it this way, everything in scripture is either preparation for the gospel, presentation of the gospel, or participation in the gospel. There's not a page in your Bible that isn't about Jesus. His life, his sacrificial death, his resurrection, his return. It is all pointing, every page is a flaming arrow pointing to the person of Christ. Moses and Jonah and Rahab and Ruth and Paul and John the Revelation, all of it is pointing to the gospel. And so you and I have to check ourselves at times and go, I am part of the church. When I say the church, I don't mean the sign outside or the organization that's registered with the state. I mean us, the church, the people. The people are the church and the church are the people. We have to check ourselves and go, what is my agenda? What is my motive? What is my mission? And is it wavering a little bit? Because it, it is about the good news that Jesus came to live a perfect life, live and then die a sacrificial death and then rise and he promises his return. And through that, that's how God establishes his heavenly kingdom on earth. And if we forget that, we lose out. It's also how we get into heaven, but more importantly, I think how heaven gets into us. So if we're going to be who we're called to be in this place, we have to take hold of that and hold strong to that and stop letting the winds of change and cultural context dictate what we're about. The gospel is the way that God invites us into that kingdom, the place where wrong is made right and broken is made whole, where lost are found. That is all gospel. That is good news. We are to be gospel-centered people. And we are going to continue to be a gospel-centered church. Listen to the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 26. He says this, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption, that's in Jesus. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, Paul says, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So we're talking about our story as a local church, as this local expression of God's kingdom in Bowling Green. It's necessary to consider the individuals who make it up because we are the church. We are not noblemen. We're not 
influential. We're regular people. We're common people from a, a map dot in the middle of flyover country that God has chosen to call into his kingdom work. I, I was drawn here five years ago mainly by the humility and authenticity of this community. When we came to interview, when we talked to your elders, when we sat with the committee, when we did all, it was the humility and the authenticity of the community. It was nothing else. It wasn't the facilities. It wasn't the history. It wasn't the vision. It was hearts that were humble and authentic and recognizing who's really in charge. And that's not the pastor. It's Jesus. And when I saw that here, I said, this is a place for us. How could we be anywhere else? This is so rare. And, and the humility of the people here was such that you guys kind of looked at me like, really? Because this, this feels pretty normal. And I was like, this is totally not normal. What draws people to Christ is not us. Paul says it isn't your wisdom that brought you in. It's not your great influence. It's not your noble birth. It's not your, it's none of that. You were reeled in by Jesus for Jesus because of Jesus. we're going to be part of this community, if we're going to set the next 50 years up, we have to be resolved that it isn't about becoming more influential or bigger or famous. Our job is to be a quiet extension of the truth of the gospel in the world and allow Jesus to continue to call people to Jesus for Jesus, like he did for you and me. Paul is writing not to us, let's get that straight, he's writing to the people of Corinth, there's lots of reasons for his letter. It's actually a really long letter, so it kind of goes in and out. One of the reasons is to recenter them on who they really are. And one of the big reasons he goes there is because they are having division in their church. They are having all of these fights and these arguments. There's division in the church at Corinth. And so partially as a way to, to kind of solve their problems, he points back to where they started. Hey, guys, you're divided over all this stuff, but you're, you've lost the plot is what Paul is saying. When you elevate non-essential things to being essential, you start to lose the plot. When, when you operate with anything other than Jesus as center, you get off-centered. When our pet issues and our personal preferences rise above where they belong, which is as pet issues and personal preferences, and look, those are usually good things. When the cause you care about becomes more important than the cause of Christ when the issue that grips your heart starts to create resentment in you because nobody else cares about it like you do, that's where we find ourselves in trouble. Because when, when we are primarily driven by the gospel, God is going to kind of invite you into more. God is going to compel you into new things, into, into side projects, into secondary issues. God is going to invite you into the beauty of those things. But when those secondary things become primary, it creates division. What's your political persuasion? How politically active are you? What cause did you care about last year? What side were you on in that cause? So in prayer and finances, as, a, as, a, as an example, my family in prayer and finances supports two things that I don't think you either A, know about, or B, support, or maybe even C, should support. But two things that we support in prayer and finances, one is called Liberty in North Korea. It's this uh, little group that helps people who are escaping... Uh, North Korea finds safe houses along the path to getting repatriated in South Korea or America. It is not abundantly Christian, although there are some overtones. 
but it's something that for whatever reason God gripped my heart 10, 15 years ago, and I said, I'm in. And so we're part of it. And in prayer and financial support, we are part of Liberty in North Korea. What? Why? I don't know. Do I think you should be a part of it? No, probably not. God has given you something else to care about. We also support a small urban church in Johannesburg. In prayer and finances, we support that church. We used to live there, so that's ours. But that shouldn't be yours. God has given you other secondary things. So the reason I don't sit here and say our new church initiative is going to be North Korea is because you shouldn't care about it. God has given you your own secondary things to care about. Our initiative as a church is Jesus. Jesus in us, Jesus through us, and Jesus in this community through us. And if that's where we focus, all of the secondary things will find their right places, and we get to be part of these weird things we support, and you're part of the things you support, and as long as we keep them secondary and we keep Jesus primary, then it's beautiful. And as a tapestry, we start weaving together all the things God has given us to care about, and we're taking care of so much together. But the challenge is, we begin to elevate those secondary things, and we go like, ah, oh, I don't know about these people. They don't, they don't like what I like. And all of a sudden, we're in trouble. The danger is when our focus drifts and our preferences become the place where our core needs are met. Usually when we put preference over Christ, when we make our causes above Christ, usually that is a sign of our insecurity. So when we are insecure in our faith, we start making our causes primary. Freedom and security always go together. Freedom and security always go together. I'm going to put a slide up of a mountain road, okay, just, just for the visual, Freedom and security, imagine you're walking this mountain road. You're not driving, you're walking on the mountain road, okay? You can hug the wall and play it safe. Do that thing where you get as close to the wall as you can and you take one side step at a time. And that can be your life journey, is hugging the wall and playing it safe, being as secure as possible. That's not actually trust, and it won't get you anywhere. By the end of your life, you'll have made a few feet along the wall, and you'll be really safe, but you didn't really go anywhere. And you think it's security, but as we hug the wall of life and we try to remain secure, it's actually a false security because there's no freedom of movement, because you're stuck. Some people go, yeah, yeah, I don't, those people, those, those wall huggers, those security, uh-uh, I'm freedom. So you lean over the edge. Freedom, we lean over the edge. We want the view. I want the fullness. I want to breathe in the glory of God. So I lean over the edge of that little fence that goes just above your knee. And you're always one slip from your end. You walk on the, the, the razor's edge of the cliff and you are absolutely free. But it is a false freedom because there's no security. So freedom and security always go together. The center line is the gospel. The center line is the gospel-centered life where you have both freedom and security. You have security in Christ. You're not going over the edge. But you have the freedom to experience what he's got for you next. And instead of focusing on this one spot, you begin to walk the road. And there will be valleys and other views. There will be other things you've never seen. And because you are walking the center line, you're, you're always safe. And yet your freedom is so much greater than it was when you were walking tiptoes on the edges, tumbling down. When you're secure in your identity in Christ, you're not so worried about either edge. You're worried about staying on the straight line. Jesus offers the fullness of security and freedom. And when we start edging away from him and into our insecurity and into our personal preferences, we invite trouble. Because if you start walking one degree off, what happens? You can take one degree off from that center line and pretty soon you're either over the cliff or you're stuck against the wall. 
Because your preferences take hold, you're one degree off, and that one degree off leads you into a place of just being profoundly stuck. And then being stuck or going over the edge, we then resent the people who aren't with us. People end up, that one degree is being all security, which we would call legalism. Got to be rules, you got to stay in check, you got to do this, you got to do that. All security, just keep it safe. And you end up stuck, or people go all freedom, and we call that licentiousness where you just go, no, 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 there shouldn't be any rules. Everything's freedom. Everything's okay. Believe what you want. We're all, and then you're over the cliff there. So Paul is pulling them back to center. Paul is pulling the divided people who've chosen their preferences and are walking all these different ways. Paul pulls them back to center. Not like World War II Sweden center, not neutral, not close your eyes and just pretend there's no war out there, but to center to what matters, to fight for what matters. Over and over, the scripture tells us the gospel is it. And everything else is peripheral. In your peripheral vision, you can focus, but you, you can't. If you focus on Sandy and Mark are in my peripheral vision, I can see them, but I can't focus on them. Because if, if, if Mark and Gemma are centered and they're, my, they're the gospel center, Mark and Sandy are peripheral, I got to pick one. And if I want to walk towards one, I can. I can see them, but as soon as I focus on them, I lost them. And we think, we're like, oh, well, that's okay, elementary school here. This is the gospel. You have to stay centered on the thing that's in front of you. You have to stay centered on Jesus Christ and him crucified. Leaving that, you lose sight of the thing that matters, and you begin to focus on something else, and we wonder why we are in such enmity with other Christians, why we're so frustrated, why people don't agree with us. Because we've stopped focusing on the thing that matters. And this upsets people the last year and a half, ask a pastor. The last year and a half has been a lot of fun. So much fun. People leave the church because it's too political. Other people leave the church because it isn't political enough. People leave the church because the church doesn't support my cause or my program or my club. You won't host my club. We're leaving. Interesting. People walk away from their faith because the music here is a little too loud. Or they just never turn the music up loud enough. Really, that's the problem. People have left this church. I'll be specific. These are kind of general. but this was, People have left this church because this church wasn't growing. I just need to be somewhere that's growing. I just can't be part of this thing that's not growing. Really, because you're part of the thing that's not growing. So anyway. Then we started growing, and people left the church because it's growing too fast. It's growing too fast. I can't. I don't know these people. It's growing too fast. I got to go somewhere else. This is growing too fast. Do you guys remember when we wore masks? <laughs> People start twitching. <laughs> People walked away from their faith community. Like, I can, I can count them. I can start, I mean, just, I got names. I got letters. I got long emails. People walked away from this faith community because of a four-inch rectangle of fabric. Because what was center got lost and what was peripheral became the focus. And when that became the focus, people left. And I'm not saying they left because we wore masks or because we didn't wear masks. Because the answer is they left because of both. Because when we started wearing them, people said, well, we're not coming until you stop wearing them. And then we stopped wearing them, people said, well, we're not coming back until you start again. Okay. We lost the plot. I'm resolved that I'm okay with anyone leaving this church. Anyone. 
for any reason other than that we didn't talk enough about Jesus Christ and him crucified. You can leave the church for any reason. I'm, I'm going to be okay with it. There's a church out there that cares about what you care about, more than what we care about. I get it. And I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with people leaving because we didn't focus enough on Jesus. And that's kind of all we're going to do. So when we talk about Moses in the Old Testament, it's going to be about Jesus too. When we talk about Jonah, it's about Jesus. When we talk about anything, it's going to be about Jesus and him crucified. And then Jesus tells us in the scripture, he says, go and do likewise. And this is where we start to apply, well, that's great. You gave me like a, a lecture and a spanking of sorts, and you did the funny thing with the movies at the front, but what was the point? Let's make it a point. Jesus says, go and do likewise. So we focus on Jesus with this gospel Jesus, this, this good news Jesus, this savior Jesus. We focus on him. Why? So that we might emulate him, so that we might be his incarnate hands and feet on earth. So he says, go and do likewise, heal and love and serve and reach the lost and the broken and the unlovable, which tells us we can't be a country club either. We can't be a place where our preferences are coddled to. We have to be a place where the outsider can come and feel at home. And so if the outsider wants louder music, let's have louder music. And if the outsider needs us to sing more hymns, let's sing more hymns. I don't care. It doesn't matter. If it means the outsider might hear the gospel, we are going to do that. And if you forget that, if I forget that, then shame on me. It isn't about my preferences. It isn't about why we do what we do because we always did it that way. It's because our job is to go and love the unlovable. And that doesn't always mean bring them into this building. It means equip us to go and love them out there where they're comfortable. We always think we want people to come to church because it's where we're comfortable. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus, how many people did Jesus find in the synagogue and go, well, because you've joined me in the synagogue, I'll now minister to you. Jesus left the church. He left the synagogue to go to the people. So we have to be the people who go, I don't need you to come where I'm comfortable. I'm willing to go where you're comfortable. And I'm willing to be profoundly uncomfortable so that you might know Christ. That's the kind of church we are, and it's the kind of church we're going to become more of. If this place was empty on a Sunday morning, empty. And we as a people are out there loving, serving, healing. That would be the best Sunday we ever had. That's who we are. It's who we're designed to be. Jesus gave up his life. Jesus died for the distant and the lost. And so as your pastor, I'm less interested in your favorite causes or your personal preference than I am in your death. That sound like fun? People will come and we'll do counseling in my office and they'll say, yeah, you know, just my marriage, I'm not getting my needs met. I go, that's interesting. Tell me more about your needs. Wait, actually, don't tell me about your needs. How, tell me about your death. How's dying going for you right now? Because you've been called to die to self and serve others. And so let's do that first. And if we get that right, then I bet God takes care of your needs along the way, right? How's the dying going since we last met up for coffee? How's the setting myself aside so that I might serve someone else? Eugene Peterson said the Christian life is learning how to die. It sounds morose until you realize that on the other side of our death is the life of Christ in and through us, and then that's power. That's beauty. That's life. So this is what Paul is reminding the people of Corinth, and by extension, he's reminding us. You weren't kings and rulers. You weren't wise and influential. Covenant Church started as college kids under a tree on campus who didn't really want to be part of a church because the church is big bureaucracy and they got it all wrong and they lost the plot and so we're going to do our own thing. I think at our core that's who we still are. We are a collection of folks 
sensing that there is life around here. And then learning that true life is found in dying to ourselves and living Jesus, living in him and living him out. I think that's who we still are. We have to be shaken and reminded of that at times, that we were people, this church, this building and 501c3 organization, all of this was formed because people didn't want to be part of something like this. But it becomes this because this is natural, because things organize, because the world, the atoms sort of collide and we go, oh, we should probably have a place to meet and we should probably have some like rules and stuff so we don't lose the plot. So this is not a bad thing. This is a vehicle and a vessel to send us back out where we started, which is engaging people on campus and in the bars, which is engaging your neighbors and your coworkers, which is being a people who remember that in our sin and our brokenness, we were the lowly and the weak and the foolish, that some of us were falling apart under the weight of our trials and circumstances, that others looked good on the outside but were crumbling on the inside. And we remind ourselves this so we remember, like Paul said, that we don't boast in who we are or who we have become. It doesn't mean you don't share either. It doesn't mean you don't boast. It means you don't boast in self. Boast in the Lord. We have something to be excited about. So I would say Christian humility doesn't require that we talk ourselves down. Instead, it invites us to talk Jesus up. We get this all wrong, like, oh, we got to just move. Everybody, ooh, total depravity, just move. No. It doesn't mean you need to talk yourself down. It means you, you need to talk Jesus up. So listen to what Paul says next. We're getting towards the close. Paul was actually, remember, he was a, a person of incredible influence. Paul had an incredible reputation. He was like a top Harvard graduate. Studied under a really important rabbi, was a world traveler, was a spokesman for Jesus. And he says this, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. And this is the part that matters. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul says, I didn't mention my pedigree or my status, my preferences or my pet issues. I resolved to know nothing but him and him crucified. To know who he is and what he's done. To know who is Jesus and what has he done. Paul says, I put my accomplishments on the shelf because the enemy of the beautiful gospel of Jesus is the delusional pride of self. The enemy of the beautiful gospel of Jesus. It's not culture wars. It's not them. The enemy of the beautiful gospel of Jesus is the delusional pride of self where I am convinced that something I have a secondary concern or preference about is actually more important than the gospel. But freed from self, we boast in Christ alone. So Paul says, I was resolved. That's a strong word. I was resolved to preach nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That means he had to be intentional. He resolved like you have a New Year's resolution, I will work out, I'm going, hold me, I'm doing this. Paul says, I was resolved. Because the self is always warring back. Because preference always knocks at the door. Because life and culture and distraction is always trying to steal the plot back, is always trying to make peripheral things central again. Always inviting us to leave that center line on that twisting road of life and to just edge towards the outer and the inner, just whatever our need might be. And so for us, celebrating 50 years, we will say, nope, not us. I'm not going to lose the plot. I'm not going to get distracted. I'm not going to make lesser things greater things. I'm not going to make the peripheral things central things. We will not depart from gospel centrality. And it won't always be exciting. 
or pleasing, but we will be true to the calling God has given us. We're going to hold on to the plot that we have. The reason our mission statement is so simple is because it's so simple. We exist to know Jesus, relationship with Christ, and then to make him known through relationship with others. A group of people who met under a tree in relationship, growing in their relationship with Christ and growing in relationship with others, 50 years later, the mission is unchanged. We are growing in our relationship with Christ so that we might grow in our relationship with others so that he might grow in relationship with them. Jesus is and will remain the hero of our story. He was sufficient once and he is sufficient for all. He is big enough to handle our smallest problems and our biggest challenges. He is all we need. He is our hope. He is our portion. And his gospel, the good news Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected, that will, will be the center of our existence as a people. Amen? Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.